Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you very much for having me and my wife, Lucy, tonight. Uh, I'm trying to get myself sorted here. It's, it's not as long as it looks. Uh, just before I start, <clears throat> I, I want to make it clear uh, anything that I'm going to say tonight, it's about what the Lord has done in my wife, in my life and Lucy's life in this past, well, our life. If, uh, if I go outside of that and I start to come over that it's me that has done anything, don't be afraid to stop me. I know Richard would. <laughs> so, uh, we do what he commands. We go where he wants us to go. We speak what he wants us to speak. His will is our law. His pleasure, our joy. He is today seeking the lost, and he would have us seek with him. He is shepherding the lambs, and he wants our cooperation. He is opening doors in heathen lands. That's from a book by E.M. Bounds, titled Weapon of Prayer. Sitting in a service station in 2004 with my sister Caroline, she asked the man sitting across the table, have we got any more brothers or sisters? And a very definite reply, no, was the answer. With the explanation of how hurt he had been when he lost us both. And because of this, he never wanted any more children. That man sitting across from us was our earthly father. I was now 45 years of age. It had been 38 years for I had last seen him. But thanks to the new technology of the internet, we were able to find him. Please join me in prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know if there's any anxious thoughts and see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. My name is Gregory Groom. I was born on the 6th of January, 1959 in Aldershot in England. My mother was Irish, my father was English, and at three weeks old I was taken by my parents to my grandparents' home in Anaclone in County Down, and that's where I stayed and I was reared. I'm a joiner by trade, and in around 1980, I went to work for a gentleman from Kate's Bridge called John McElroy. At that time, I didn't really understand or care what a free Presbyterian was. So that's just Paisley's mill was my reasoning. And as a Catholic, I had not really bothered with them as they had no time for the Catholic mill. That was what my opinion was. But it turned out John and his wife Marion were free Presbyterians. So my opinions were blown out of the water because John and Marion had given me employment. And as time went by, our friendship grew. 
John started to share the gospel with me. I can tell you for certain he didn't wait six months to do it. It was in the first week. And uh, I was intrigued. So I kept asking questions. John had the answers from the scripture, but he never forced it on me. And our friendship grew. And it's strong to this very day. So as I started to know a little bit about the Bible, now that's an exaggeration, <laughs> but as I started to hear wee bits coming from John, it made me wonder why my mob, the Catholics, were not teaching us about the Bible. So one Sunday, after Mass in Banbridge, I went to the parochial house beside the chapel on the Dermore Road, and I explained to the parish priest about my friend John and how he knew so much about the Bible. And I asked him, is there any such classes where I could find out more about the Bible? And the priest said, we're working on that very idea of presenting such a class. Brilliant, nice one. He took my name, he took my telephone number, and said he would be in touch as soon as it was organized. That's 40 years ago, and I'm still waiting on that phone call. In 1981, I met Lucy. We have four sons, Parik, Ruri, Oisheen, and Jermit. But moving on to May 2016, John asked me to make a unit for the Brooklyn Mission Hall. That day, I made it delivered it to the hall, and I saw a table with a wee bit of reading matter on it. And I lifted a card, and it spoke of a mission being held the following week in Warren Point. The speaker was a chap called Alan Bartley. I thought, who's he when he's at home? So uh, I asked John, could I go to it? Now, I found out later that uh, John was going to invite me to it. But there you are. I invited myself. But anyway, and he said yes. So the following Monday night, I attended with him and his wife, Marianne. I felt so uncomfortable. Everyone was singing. Our mob don't do that. We leave that to the choir. John said afterwards that I had fidgeted the whole time I was there. When I got home, Lucy asked me, how did you get on? Ach, I says, it was all right. But I wouldn't be in any rush to go back. But Tuesday came along. Lunchtime. I rings John. Are you going tonight, John? John replied, yes, I am. If you want to go, I'll go. So we went that night again. I was in a rush to go back. So I went on, the Wednesday, went on the Tuesday night, and then on the Wednesday night, Lucy came as well. She was in no rush to go back either. We went every night that week. And uh, I think it was about the Wednesday night, Alan came down to speak to me. And he gave me this wee book. And uh, I still have it, and I won't let anybody take it off me. But anyway, 
I, by this time, was getting up around six o'clock in the morning. I was going into the living room and I was kneeling down to pray. Didn't know how to pray. Didn't know what was going on. Didn't know what was happening. But I was kneeling down to pray and the tears were flowing out of me. I had no idea what was happening. On Sunday, the 22nd of May, so I heard the gospel, apart from hearing John telling the bits from the Bible, I heard the gospel had been preached for the very first time on the Monday. And this was the Sunday. So I heard the gospel on Monday, got saved on the Sunday. Sunday, the 22nd of May, 2016, I gave my life to the Lord. That particular night, if John was here now, he would, he would tell you how bad a tongue I had. It's in the building game, plenty of rough and tumble in that game, and uh, the tongue was not good, folks. It was awful. It was really awful. When I went to bed on the Sunday night, Lucy was still in the living room. I went on down to the bed. I'd been praying and said, that's it. I'm yours whatever happens now, I don't know. I surrendered it all to Jesus. And as I turned over on my left side to go to sleep, I breathed out something and I gave myself a shake and I thought, what on earth is that? I had no idea. I didn't know what it was. But the next day, about 10 o'clock in the morning, I realized what it was. The cursing had gone. I couldn't do it. He had taken it away. He was so gracious to him. He took it away that night. And we give all the glory to God for what he done. On the 6th of June, about three weeks later, Lucy also gave her life to the Lord. That's her story for another day. In Matthew 6, 14 and 15, for if you give, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive you your sins. Now this is a tough one. If you have grown up through the troubles, it's not easy for anyone that has been affected in any way. But to give you an idea what can happen, let me share with you Frida's story. She, radi she radiated the beauty of Jesus, but she bore the scars of the Rwanda genocide of 1994. When a million Tutsi people were killed by Hutsi, in a tribal war of just 100 days. Frida was the only surviving member of the immediate family. And on one day, all her 15 close relatives, including grandparents, parents, brothers, sisters, were gathered together in one place and asked how they wanted to die. If you were wealthy enough, to buy your own bullet, you could be shot and get it over with quickly. Frida's family were poor. Her mother chose the machete 
and Frieda herself choose, chose to be hit over the back of the head with a blunt instrument. She thought that would be quick. One by one, all her family ex were executed, including Frida, and pushed into a shallow grave. But Frida wasn't actually dead. She'd been buried alive, uncovered over. Fourteen hours later, someone heard a sound from the grave and dug her out. Sometime later, when the genocide was all over, she became a Christian and started to read the Bible. There she read about forgiveness and knew she had to do what Jesus said and go to the jail to forgive the man that had killed her father. That act freed her from the consequences of bitterness and any possibility of a desire for revenge. Without forgiveness, she would have been in bondage to the people who had done those terrible things for the rest of her days. At LL Grange, she spoke out again her forgiveness to everyone who had been involved in those terrible events. Till that time, she had been suffering awful nightmares and constant pain in the head in the place where she had been hit. That night, God healed her completely. She was freed from the pain and from the recurring nightmares. Her full remarkable story is in her book, Frida, Chosen Today, Destined to Live. Now, there's a reason I'm telling you all this. Let's go back to the very beginning. Sitting in that service station in Taddington in 2004 with my sister Carole. When she asked the man sitting across the table, had we any brothers and sisters? And the very definite no was the reply and the explanation of how hurt he had been. A very definite no was the answer. That was 2004. In 2010, one morning, I received a letter from the postman. Unusual, it was unusual for the fact that it was a handwritten letter. The letter inside, if you're Gregory Groom and your father is Gerald Groom, then it's very possible that I'm your sister and my name is Elizabeth Muckleson, formerly Groom. Gerald Groom married my mother in 67, in 1967, and both me and my twin sister Fiona, who sadly died at birth, would be your half-sisters. I still hear those words sitting in the service station. Wow, there it was. The truth was out. He never wanted any more children. That was his truth. He had the opportunity to give both myself to give Caroline and myself closure. But such was his disrespect for his children that he denied his other daughters, even a little Fiona who died at birth, was also denied. I was dumbstruck, to say the least. This is like a story straight out of the Long Lost Families TV programme, but without the reconciliation of the father and the happy ending. We've welcomed Elizabeth with open arms. 
uh, and we be in touch regularly. She was over with us, we be over with her. You know, with great, it was actually a, one of Caroline's daughters was getting married just after that. She was at the wedding, it was, it was fabulous. The finding out of the, the truth despite all Gerald Grimm's lies was actually marred by a, at a whole new level of hatred. Especially since he denied little Fiona. In fact, when Elizabeth was told by her mother that she had been a twin and little Fiona had died, it was made so much worse of her recalling the birth of Elizabeth and Fiona. When Fiona was born, uh, just so you have this right now, this happened in Germany. My father was in the forces and uh, that's where it happened. And, uh, but anyway, you'll see where the British Legion, she, Liz got in touch with them and they stepped in. When Fiona was born, she was rushed away to try and be resuscitated. Elizabeth's mom was busy giving birth to Elizabeth. Little Fiona passed away. Elizabeth's mum barely got to see little Fiona. On George's instructions to the hospital staff, Fiona was taken away and buried in secret without the knowledge of, of the mother. On returning to the hospital, he announced to Liz's mum, the dirty deed is done. She is buried. When she inquired where the child was, this was his response. There was absolutely no love. The dirty deed was the only thing that he could say about his little dead daughter, Elizabeth's twin sister, Caroline and my half-sister. Now my hatred of my earthly father is now on the Richter scale. Elizabeth's mum was never told where Fiona was, was buried. And in 2011, Elizabeth, we call her Liz, uh, Liz managed to find where the grave was, and that was by the help of the British Legion in Germany. And a very helpful fellow worked in the graveyard, an employee in the grave, went and took a photo of the grave. They traced it, they found it, they took a photo of the grave. And that's all that we have. And Liz's mother's still alive, and she has that photograph now. So just to remind you again, unforgiveness will poison your heart. Bitterness will kill you. It will hurt you more than anyone else. But when you forgive, God can move in your life. What a friend we have in Jesus. As a Catholic, only my wife and I, until my wife and I got saved, we'd never heard this hymn. But uh, when we did hear, and just recently got to know it better, just says everything about Jesus as a friend. Um, fast forward to when we got saved in 2016. So that was I attended many prayer nights in different mission halls, and the same message was being preached get alone with the Father and pray. This instruction from Scripture always spoke to me. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. How could I even start to pray without forgiveness? From me to my earthly father, 
if I wanted to be forgiven by my heavenly Father. On the Sunday night that I was saved, the following week, as you would realize, uh, we had uh, no Bible in the house. We had no teaching. When I first when I first met Lucy, I'm going off track here a wee bit. When I first met Lucy, she used to tell me about the parish priest that they had. Now I, we live up that direction outside White Cross, and she <laughs> told me about the parish priest that had. And his sermon every Sunday morning was on whatever had been on the late late show the night before. So you may guess where we were coming from now. But anyway, uh, so uh, I telephoned, uh, I phoned John McElroy and I said, John, I need a Bible. So I make kitchen, so we workshop down at where we live. And it's like from here to the front door between the workshop and back of the house, if you like, up to the house. So uh, I rang John when I was in the workshop and I said, John, I need a Bible and you may help me get this. And he says, no problem, come down Saturday, we'll go to the Faith Mason bookshop in uh, Bonbridge, and we'll get you a Bible. Right, so, Lucy and me, that's where we're going Saturday. From walking out of the workshop, till I got to the back of the house, the Lord had spoke to me. Buy a Bible for your father. So I rung John back and I said, we need to. So we got to. The father that had rejected me all my life and how I felt nothing but let's face it, hatred for him. But in that moment I, I decided to forgive him, which is no easy task. It goes against, or it did go against, every moral fiber in my body. But then you think of Jesus and what he had done for me and for you on the cross. There's no comparison. What would Jesus do in this situation? It's not easy to forgive, but just do it. The renewing of your mindset will be incredible. Buy a Bible for your earthly father instead of at best disgust of him and worst hatred. That thought just seemed so right for to get him the Bible. And all that hatred, disgust, rejection was lifted. Just then, no bells and whistles. Just later, forgiveness no matter how hard, it brings an indescribable peace. I, we were going to England and I posted off the Bible uh, to Jerry when we were in England on holiday. I've had no correspondence from him and I'm not we had no correspondence from him. I have no idea if he got it, if he read it. I don't know if there was any change in his life. The half-sister, Liz, got contacted by his third wife a short time after that to say that Jerry was dead. And he had been dead a year before we found out about it. So to conclude, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. Thank you for listening, and God bless you all tonight.